Well, welcome everybody to today's webcast. Uh, I'm flying solo, solo today. Mark is away in Poland, so hopefully that'll be okay. Thanks for, for joining me. And um, yeah, I just look forward to to sharing with you guys something that's been really near and dear to my heart recently. And um, yeah, I might just get right into it. If there's no announcements, I don't have any announcements. And of course, Mark, uh, the, the, we don't have the banter, but... Um, yeah, what I, I really do want to share today is um, just not only God's Father Heart for the World, which is the title of the, the live stream, but actually God's Fatherhood of the World as well. And so, um, yeah, I'm just uh, trusting that uh, it'll be clear what I'm sharing. And I just want to just open up and I'll just want to pray first. And Father, I just thank you that you have a heart for each one of us that uh, in the very core of your being, you are not willing that even one should perish. And so, Father, I just pray you'd help me today to be able to, to express what's on my heart about your father heart and your fatherhood. And that, uh, yeah, that it would come clear from your heart, Lord. I just pray anything that I will say out of my own good intentions would drop to the ground. But any seed that comes from your heart, Father, I pray that... Yeah, that we would all see uh, just how deep your love is for us and that you have moved heaven and earth to to let us know how much you care for us. So I just pray blessings on everybody who's listening live. I pray for a blessing for everybody who's listening afterwards. And yeah, I just pray that you would draw us all closer to that amazing, eternal, everlasting love that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people around the world said, Amen. So thanks for joining me. Um, yeah, I I I feel like there's something on my heart, and it's been there for quite a, a quite a while. And as you you'll tell when I when I start up, that it actually has been resonating in me for many years, and just trying to uh, bring words to things. Um, I think it was Saint Francis of Assisi said, uh, you know, wherever you go, preach the gospel, and whatever is necessary, use words. And I think sometimes words can um, pale in comparison to or fail in in describing the the immeasurable eternal love that God has for us. So I'm to, I'm just going to dig right into this, and uh, hopefully it makes sense. I hope hopefully the audio is working. Everybody can hear me. Maybe just you know wave on on Facebook or just uh, because of course normally I have Mark to to give me that kind of feedback when we're together but uh, you know if I don't if no news is is good news if I don't hear anything from you oh I see a couple of hearts there thanks um, yeah so I just I'm just going to dig right into this and then you know we'll we'll see where we go and I'm what I'm doing today is I'm I'm, I'm I put everything on a slide format just more for my own ability to kind of keep uh, very uh, my thoughts really, you know, clear and succinct, and uh, and just see where we go from there. And so the the title of of the live stream today is God's Father Heart for the World, and of course it, it's not only His Father Heart for the World, but His Fatherhood of the World. And so um, I want to talk about a, a web web domain address. I we have a bunch of web domains. Uh, we have six websites that we have, a bunch of more domains. Uh, that you know, every day we we have things being posted on them. But uh, in 19 or 2004, I purchased OneFather.com, and I you know, I purchased it for a significant amount um, from uh, just just with a sense that I I felt that 
with this declaration of God's fathering was really important for um, the world. And, and so I've just hung on to it ever since then. And um, it really, you know, I didn't know exactly what to do with it, but I felt that it declared God's father heart and his fatherhood for, for the entire world. And so, you know, and that is just to let you know, that is based on Ephesians 4, 6 that says there is one God. He is the father of us all. He is over us all. He is the one working through us all. He is the one living in us all. And so, you know, my heart was to get onefather.com to declare that to to the uh to the cosmos so to speak. And 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 oftentimes for when I do this kind of stuff, when I actually have websites that declare I, uh, we have one website called fatherlovesthe-world.com and so every day we declare the father's love for every nation of the world individually, one nation at a time. And we've been doing that for a few years already. And uh, it's not like it's got a huge following or, you know, but every day it's like, you know, father, you know, loves Poland, father loves, you know, the United States, father loves, uh, you know, even, you know, the Pitcairn Islands, there's 44 people in the Pitcairn Islands. But one day uh, in the in the cycle, we declare the father's love. And I've just always felt like it's it's really important that, you know, even it, it's not about numbers or uh, how many visits we get, but it's about declaring something on the internet that I really believe is, is close to God's heart. So this is where, this is the, the origin of the Father's Love Letter or, or OneFather.com. But here's the question that I have, and I, and I think Christians have as well, uh, and it's a theological question. When, when I declare this, there is one God, He is Father of us all, He is over us all, He is the one working through us all, He is the one living in us all. The, the question that can, you know, pop up is, is Ephesians 4, 6 just referring to Christians or is it referring to the entire human race? And there are arguments where people read scriptures like this and they'll say, well, Paul was talking to the church at Ephesus. So when he was talking to the church, he was referring to them as being us. Right. And of course, just before Ephesians 4, 6 uh, backing up two verses is there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism in which we were baptized, one God and Father of us all. And so uh, that is the question, I believe, that I, I, I'm not saying that I can answer it uh, today, but, you know, I am doing my best to really, I've been asking God about this, and I just like, is this question about God's fatherhood just for Christians or is it for the human race? And, you know, just to, you know, at the beginning, if, if somebody doesn't know me, just understand that I'm not a theologian. I don't pretend to be. I don't consider myself even, you know, a, a, a confident speaker or a, a teacher as much as I am a little boy that found home. And, you know, it was like this revelation of the Father Heart of God uh, 25 years ago turned my life right side up. And that was after being a Christian for 22 years at that point, but yet, you know, I had all my theological ducks in the in a row as far as who God was, but it wasn't like I really had a revelation that he was my dad, and so when I come in and I'm trying to unpack this, this the fatherhood of God with the human race, this is what I'm, I'm coming at it, not as a theologian, not as somebody who's well-read that can defend everything theologically, but I've been asking God just for uh, so wisdom in this, and so this is my best attempts to unpack this. And there's a common evangelical belief that says God is, on our, is only our Father, 
once we have experienced a supernatural rebirth. So, you know, in, in essence, what he's saying is before our conversion, the thought is we are part of his creation, but we are not part of his family. And some of this comes comes to, you know from scriptures that talk about us being born again into the you know God be, being children of God and and uh, you know and of course John one twelve and thirteen is one of those scriptures that says where Jesus is to to his own or, or describing Jesus uh, John said to whose own he came and they didn't receive him but as many as received him to them he gave the power to become children of God born not after a husband's will but born of God himself so it's this issue about how do uh, how does all of uh, humanity relate to God? Is is God a father to us, or is He only a father after we come into His family? And of course, my my question with this, and and again, this is just a little boy asking a question, and that is, if God didn't father the human race, then who did? And I think that is, you know, one of the you know, I think it's a very, very honest question, and I think it's a very direct question. Like, if God didn't isn't responsible for humanity, then what other options are there? And one of the common beliefs in, in especially in evangelical Christian Christianity, uh, is that you know some people believe that if we are not children of God, then we are children of the devil. Now, uh, it, this is a supporting scripture that people use. I, I Googled some of this stuff, you know, in preparation for this talk to, to say, okay, so what, like, what are the theological constructs, the beliefs that some people have to support that we, if we're not a child of God, we're a child of the devil. And First John 3.10 says, this is how we know who the children of a God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not, who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So, in essence, this is one of the, the, the Bible verses that people use to support that if you're not a child of God, then you're the alternative, which is a child of the, the devil. Now, I don't know about how you feel about this, but in my mind, the theological idea that Satan fathered a significant portion of the human race is absolutely, without question, diabolical. I cannot imagine like being able to think that the our origin comes from anyone other than God and, and of course coming from Satan is is absolutely mind boggling. So that's what I, I want to address that concern first. And and, and another passage of scripture where uh, where this belief comes from about uh, our origins and if we're not children of God, who are we? comes from John chapter eight. Uh, verses 31 to 47, and this is Jesus having a conversation with the Jewish leaders at the time. Now, if we understand the the context, I don't want to read the whole passage because it, it is quite lengthy, but Jesus tells them at the time that sin enslaves people. And, and you know, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. And, and, and at one point, Jesus says, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs forever. And so what Jesus was talking about is that they were enslaved to sin and that the freedom uh, from that sin was found in sonship. And that was, of course, uh, in knowing Jesus, who, and he goes on to say, whom the uh, son sets free is free indeed. indeed. But in this, in this dialogue between Jesus and the Pharisees, uh, they were really offended by what Jesus had to say because they said they were, they were descendants of Abraham. And, and at one point they got so indignant they said, "Well, God is our Father, right?" And and he and they actually 
um, they actually, I believe, made a, a dig at Jesus' own um, divine birth, is, is the virgin birth, because because they said, well, we're not illegitimate, right? That God is our Father. Basically, you know, because of the shroud of the the idea that Jesus was born of a virgin, right? That you know, his, he was born of Mary, and she wasn't married to Joseph yet. So they were kind of even giving a dig, but saying, well, God's our Father. What you know, what are you talking about? And and Jesus agrees to them, agrees with them that they are Abraham's descendants. But it's at this point, but he says, but you are not his children. And why did Jesus say that about them? He goes on to explain, he goes, because their actions did not line up with Abraham's heart. He said, because Jesus said, like, if, if you would have been children of Abraham, you would have loved me. You know, you would have rejoiced for my my coming. And this is the, the John eight forty four. This is the passage, the scripture where a lot of times people say, well, this is Jesus is calling them their devil, the father. So, you know, that's, you know, creating the theological understanding that that God is not father of the human race, that, you know, that the devil has a share in this. And so in this in this conversation, Jesus responds to him and says, you belong to your father, the devil. You want to carry out your father's dial, desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So this is one of those passages of scripture where they just say, well, Jesus said himself, you're, you're of your, your father, the devil, right, who is a liar. So what was Jesus saying then? And I, I think I just really need to, with integrity, answer this question before we go on. And I believe what he was saying is their actions lined up with the demonic schemes of the father of lies. And you know, it was the perverted fathering of, of the devil that influenced them. And he, he says that. He says, because you wanted to kill me. You know, and he said, you, and he, you know, the, of course, the enemy wanted to to kill Jesus so they were in alignment so when he was saying to them that you know you're you're of your father the devil he was saying that your actions are in, in alignment with his de- demonic scheme, schemes because he said in John 8:42 Jesus said if god were your father you would love me for i came here from god i have not come on my own god sent me so he's just basically again he's making a connection to the influences in our life that determine uh, you know the the fathering in the sense whether it comes from from God or not. See, the reality was that it was the father of lies that was the dominant influence in their actions. So they were acting act, acting as if they were his his children. But Jesus was in absolutely no way saying that their origin came from the demonic. This would simply not be consistent with everything else that Jesus said. And I think this is why I really want to kind of touch base on this, to dismantle this lie that says that we can be children of the devil or children of God in this this cosmic tug-of-war between God and, and Satan. And that is absolutely not the truth. And, and you know, and to, to be able to unpack this a little bit more, I, I want to talk about nature versus nurture. Now, Again, I'm just a little boy. I'm not a psychologist. You know, this stuff is beyond my pay grade. But nature versus nurture, from what I understand, is a psychological uh, understanding of the influences in our life that develop us. Like, so what in, in, you know, what influences us, nature or, or nurture or both? Now, so what nature is basically, nature describes 
the biological connection that we have with our parents. This is the genetic, genetic traits that are passed on through our DNA. So it's basically everything that we get from our parents, you know, that, that is actually imparted to us through our DNA, through their genetic traits that make us, the, you know, the character traits that we have that are passed on to us biologically. That is the, the nature. But then there's another side of that coin, and that's nurture. Now, nurture describes the environmental factors that influence our development how we were loved, what we were taught, what our environment was, what our experiences were, what side of the tracks we were born on. You know, all of the dynamics, the government, the media, everything, that's the nurture. It's how, what were we influencing and what were, you know, things that influenced us in our, in our own life. And the reality is, is that we are all shaped by nature and by nurture, both our genetic connection to our parents as well as how we were raised. So, you know, if we understand that, and that's not really that's not really rocket science. Here's a picture of me and our oldest daughter, Kristen. Now, thankfully, uh, you know, like she has genetic traits from both Anne and I, my wife and I, as well as environmental ones. And so, basically, you know, if you look at Kristen as a baby, and you look at me as a baby, you will see a lot of similarities. So there are some physical traits that have been passed on from from my side of the family to 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 Kristen. I, some of the kind of the personality traits. My uh, Kristen is is more like her mother in personality. She, you know, my my wife is very gentle and quiet and an internal processor. Where where Kristen is like that as well. So these are kind of the genetic traits that Kristen has based on you know being our 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 uh, kid, I mean having a mom and dad like she has. But then there are environmental ones. This is how we loved her, how we taught her, how we raised her, how we encouraged her, all those things, and even how friends started to influence her. And, and that is the, the, the nurture part of, of the, the development. So I believe when Jesus was talking to these, these Jewish leaders at the time, he acknowledged that they had a biological connection with Abraham. But the reality is it was their hearts that were nurtured and influenced by the father of lies. So when Jesus said, you're like your father, the devil, you know, he basically what he was saying is you are influenced by the the demonic realm of the father of lies. And that's why you want to kill me. Right. But Satan was never the father of their origin. It was rather he shaped them like a father, for they were in alignment with her, with what he he did and said. And I think that is something that is really important because the devil is a counterfeit father. He's the father of lies. Uh, Jesus said, when he speaks, he 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 lies because that is his native language. He cannot create anything. He's a liar. And deception is his only tool. And if we actually look at the character nature of the enemy, we all we have to do is go back to to Genesis and we see that deception was the tool which he tried to convince Adam and Eve at the time uh, that God wasn't good, that God was insecure, that he didn't want them to eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because if they did, they'd be like God and God didn't want that. And so, you know, he baited them by deceiving them. And, and of course, you know, humanity has been struggling with this deception ever since then. Second Corinthians 4, 4 says, talking about, uh, the enemy he says in their case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God so this is again we see 
the, the role, the influence of the deception of the enemy. But the reality, and this is again, this is where I, you know, this is what this is all about, this, this, this teaching today, is that humanity's origin comes from God. There is absolutely no question in Genesis 1, 27, it says, in his, in his image he made them, he created them male and female, he created them. And the truth is, we are all God's image bearers. Though our image, our fallen image in this fallen world is marred by sin, I still believe that that nature connection with God, the created in his image, being image bearers of the Most High, is absolutely in place. And to think that somehow we are disconnected from a loving father as a result of, of Adam and Eve going out of the garden, I really believe that the more we see God's fathering and his father heart for the world, the more that we will really appreciate the, the incredible cost of what Jesus did on the cross. You see, the truth is we have all been nurtured by a broken world. Our ability to commune with God has been affected by the ravages of sin and deception. You know, and there is no one that has escaped that. You know, and of course, that's why we needed uh, a Savior, which is Jesus Christ. If you look at the reverse genealogy of Jesus, there's two genealogies in the New Testament. The, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, starts with the first genealogy, right? Which, which, which um, starts with Abraham and ends with Jesus. But there's a second genealogy, and that's in Luke chapter 3, where it starts with Jesus and goes backwards and ends with Adam. And it's everybody's the son of, everybody's the son of, everybody's the son of. Then it gets to Adam, and he says, Adam was the son of God. See, the human race was intended to be an extension of God's family. There is absolutely no question about that, that you know, the intention of God has always been to have kids. So my question is, you know, we, we know the story, and I'm not going to get into the story of Adam and Eve and, and being, you know, um, when God drove them from the garden, he did that out of his incredible love for them because he, they had taken of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but yet they had not partaken of the tree of life yet. And so in God's mercy, if they would have taken from the tree of life, they would have lived forever in this fallen, broken state. So it was in a father's great love for his kids that he didn't want that to happen. So he actually you know, drove them from the garden and had angels guarding the entrance so that they wouldn't live forever in this fallen state. So, But my question is, when Adam and Eve fell, did anything change in the heart of God? God didn't change, but Adam and Eve did. Did God cease to be a father to Adam and Eve after the fall. And I absolutely believe he didn't. His, his fathering love didn't change either. And so when we begin to understand how God relates to the human race in the Old Testament, and of course, especially in the New, we see it, we can realize that it's not like there's this this divine, this, this not even divine, but undivine uh, disconnection between God and humanity now. And, you know, I really believe what we... And again, in, in the language of a little boy, not a theologian, what happened in the garden is that the spiritual eyes of Adam and Eve were closed and the eyes of their human understanding were opened. And so that became the issue and that's where sin entered into our hearts. And then, you know, though God still had a father's heart for Adam and Eve and for Seth, Seth and, you know, every generation afterwards... 
that humanity ceased to relate to God as a father because of the brokenness that sin introduced into our hearts. And the way that, I, you know, I, I've heard this before, and, and I, I really think it's, it's appropriate. In essence, God's kids were kidnapped in a garden. In 2 Timothy 2.26, Paul is talking about, you know, kind of the, the wiles of the devil. He says, talks about a certain people and said that they would escape, that they would come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do as well. And I really believe that that, in essence, describes what happened to the human race, that Satan took us captive to do his will. And so if you think about it in that context, that if God's kids were kidnapped, how does that change the the narrative of, of the human race? And like, I just ask you this question and hey, you know, maybe your answer might be different than mine. I can't imagine it would be. But what if your children were kidnapped at birth? Would you still, would they still be your children, even though they were not connected with you? Would you still love them? And of course, the answer would be yes. And even though perhaps even, you know, through their behavior that that was now influenced by evil because they were kidnapped and, and taken into a, you know, an evil family, you know, how would you feel about them? You would still absolutely love them, right? Because, and you know what you would do? You would move heaven and earth to get them back. And I really believe that if we feel this way for our natural children, how much more uh, would our Heavenly Father feel this way for the human race? You see, I, and I've, I've heard James Jordan say this, and I, I so appreciate it. You know, there's something called an elevator pitch in, 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 in kind of in sales and marketing um, terminology. So that an elevator pitch is simply this. If you were to describe what you're all about in, in 30 seconds, you're in an elevator with somebody and you want to tell them everything that you, you can say to condense it into one statement, what it, would it be? And I really believe that this description is, to me, my elevator pitch to, to describe the Bible and the story of the Bible. That the Bible is a story of a father who lost his children in a garden and a son who came to get his back. That is the, the, the basic, most foundational, most simplistic, but yet most powerful way that I can describe the story of, of, of the Bible. That God lost his kids in the garden, and then two, then two thousand years ago now he, he he sent his son back to to bring us bring us home. See, if we look at the Father heart of God, and again this idea that we're not we're we're not connected to God somehow that that if you're not born again that somehow you have absolutely no connection. It's like we're walking around with like empty shells of of, of humanity. But I truly believe that God fathered us. He always did. He has always had a father's heart for us. In, in Isaiah 64, 8, Isaiah writes, Yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are the work of your hand. And, you know, even, you know, if you read throughout the Psalms, and there's so many scriptures. I mean, Psalm 139, just take a moment and, and, and camp in Psalm 139, 139, where King David writes that, you know, that where am I going to go to flee your presence? You know me when I sit down, you know when I rise up, that, you know, the, the intimate knowledge of your love for me is, is too wonderful. 
you know, you created me, you knit me together in my mother's womb, you know, it, you formed me in the darkness, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, all the days of my life have been written in your book before one ever came to be, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them, where I count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand of the seashore, that's just Psalm 139, that is not talking about a God that is disconnected from his kids. This is a God who is intimately involved in our lives. And David isn't wasn't just talking about himself. He is talking about the character and the nature of God. And then in Jeremiah 3, verse 19, we really do once again get this sense of God's heart for, for the human race. Because he said, this is him speaking to Israel. He said, I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. And of course, verse 20 goes on to say, like a woman unfaithful to her husband, like a woman unfaithful, you have been unfaithful to me. And you just feel the, the lament the, the, the devastation of a loving father who just, I just, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a desirable land? And it's like that dream, that hope, I thought you would call me father. You see, I truly believe that is the core of the father's heart for every person on planet Earth. I believe that in the very DNA of God, we are still connected. We are his beloved children and that he, his heart is that, that he wants us all back home. You see, it's interesting when Jesus introduces God as Father to us in the, in the New Testament. You know, in the Old Covenant, the descriptions of God were, uh, there was, um, I think, over 300 descriptions of God and 300, in a sense, names of God that described his character, his majesty, his holiness, his might, everything like that. But when Jesus came, he came and he introduced God by one name and one name only, and that was the name Father. Now, one of the things that I, I just want to, to say, and, and just to remind us all, that when Jesus was speaking, the you know, even though the Gospels are in the New Testament, before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, in that time, he was still speaking in the Old Covenant, right? Because the New Covenant began when, you know, he died and rose from the dead. So how did he actually tell the people to relate to this God? They weren't born again. You know, they, they weren't spirit-filled. He was speaking to them, and he said, this is how you should pray. Start with the words, Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. Whoa. This is how God, Jesus himself said, this is what you can do. He's your father. He said to them, go pray to your father in secret, secret so that he might reward you openly. He said, your father knows, don't be, uh, knows what you need before you even ask. He said, ask, seek, knock. And he went on to say that if you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? You see, even before Jesus died on the cross, when he taught us to pray and taught us to relate to God, even in still in the old covenant before the new covenant began, he said that God's your father. You can go to him, you can pray to him, you can ask him, and he 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 loves to give good gifts to his kids. And of course, you know, John sixteen, twenty six and twenty seven, this is before Jesus is going to the cross. And he's talking to his disciples about that day and that day 
is when he rises from the dead. He says, in that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And of course, the word love there is uh, typically Jesus would use the word uh, that was agape love, uh, which is the unconditional big love of God. But in this particular situation, he used the word phileo love, which is a family love. It's a, it's a it's an affectionate love. It's more like saying, you know, the difference between saying I love you and I like you. And liking is, is, is kind of a different dynamic. If a person likes us, they enjoy us. And Jesus is saying that to his disciples. It's interesting, in Luke chapter 15, there's uh, it's a trilogy of three parables. The first one is the lost sheep, the second one is the lost coin, and the third one is the lost son. But think about this for a second. In order for something to be lost or someone to be lost, they would first have to have wandered away from their original home. You see, the reason that we were lost, we are lost and we need to be found, we are need to be saved, is because our origin rests in the heart of God. And so the, the even the essence of the using the word lost, I was lost. Well, I was lost from my original plan and purpose that the Father had for me, and then Jesus absolutely found me. See, even when you think of the words redeemed, restored, and reconciled, the word redeemed means to restore to its original owner. The word reconciled means to restore to a, 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 restore a broken relationship. So this is what Jesus did on the cross, is that when he absolutely, there was this this disconnection for, from our God-given Destiny of to be his his much loved children and and it was like when Jesus died on the cross he made a way for us to be redeemed reconciled and restored and Second Corinthians five eighteen and nineteen says this all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. You see, this is the message that you and I have as believers in Jesus Christ, that God has already reconciled the world to himself. And the work of faith, there is a work of faith, I truly believe, in order for this to become real in our lives, we need to respond to this and and be able to receive this free gift that comes from God. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says it's, it's by grace that we are saved uh, through faith. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. But this free gift still needs to be received. But what are, we are declaring to humanity is that God the Father was in Christ already reconciling the world to himself. And he's not counting our sins against us. And so uh, verse 20 in this is passage of scripture says that we have been called to the ministry of reconciliation and we are ambassador, ambassadors of Christ is calling people to be reconciled to the Father in Christ, pleading with them, imploring them, be reconciled to God. And I really believe when we are we are saying that, we are calling people to be reconciled to their original plan and purpose that the Father has always had. It's interesting in, in uh, chapter 17 of the book of Acts, uh, Paul the Apostle is in on Mars Hill. Now Mars Hill 
was a, a place where there, were, there was a lot of pagan worship. There were all kinds of idols. The, the philosophers would hang out there and, you know, they would debate and do all this, all this conversation. And they had, you know, they had all these idols to all these gods. And then they had a, an idol to the unknown god. And basically what they were doing there is they were just trying to cover their bases, right? They didn't want to miss a god. So they had an unknown god just in case they missed one. And Paul used the, the, the open door through that unknown God to talk to them about, talk to them about the only true God. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 20, 27 and 28, and this is part of a longer discourse that he had, but it says this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And then verse 29, he, he bridges that and he starts to preach the good news. He goes, since we are God's offspring, you know, let's not, you know, worship idols and those things. But you see, this is Paul the Apostle talking to pagans and he's quoting one of their own uh, poets when he says, as your own poets have said, we are all God's offspring. And I just believe that this, this, the heart of the Father is, is, is that we would know that, 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 that he has a Father's heart for every person on the planet. You see, we are all God's offspring by creation, but I truly believe through the finished work of Jesus, through the act of faith, through receiving the free gift of what God has already given us in his Son, that we can be heirs through that redemptive process and reconnected to the nurturing love the, the fathering love, the, the love that restores us and renews us and, and causes us to be transformed from one degree of glory to the next as we, we behold the Lord of glory with unveiled faces. But I believe that that reconnecting is, is, is a, a completion to the plan and purpose that the Father has had for the human race. In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, Paul the Apostle starts this amazing prayer that talks about us being filled with the full measure of the fullness of God and having the being strengthened on our inner being by the power of the Holy Spirit so we would have that power to grasp how big and how wide and how long and how high the love of God is and that we would be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. And he starts that prayer by, by saying these words. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. You see, every family, good or bad, in heaven and on earth, derives its name from God's Father. And that is so important for us to understand and how he relates to the human race. Why did Jesus die? And of course, you know, of course we know this, but, you know, Hebrews 2.9, I really... Uh, I really believe it, it, it really expresses the heart of God and the heart of Jesus to be connected with his brothers and sisters. It says, but we do see Jesus who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste us death for everyone. Verse 10 says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect uh, What through what he suffered. And verse 11 says, both the one who makes people holy 
and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. You see, I truly believe that this is why Jesus died on a cross. This is why he he went through what he went through. He became sin. He took upon himself your sin. He didn't just die for us. He died as us. And that we were buried when you know when we we come into the to the awakening of this truth in our own being that we understand that we were crucified with Christ. And so no longer I that lives, but it is Christ that lives in me. And what is the point? So that he could bring many sons and daughters to glory. You see, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 2, it says, talking about Jesus, is it for the joy set before him, he endured the cross and he, he scorned its shame. What was the joy set before Jesus that caused him to be able to manage this? I truly believe the joy set before him was you and I. He saw us being reconciled to the Father. He saw that all the children that the Father had had the opportunity now to come home through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And that was the joy that caused him to scorn the shame of the cross and endure it. And when I find it so interesting in John 20, verse 17, that when Jesus rises from the dead, he bumps into to Mary in the garden and he says, Don't touch me, Mary, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But this is the resurrection message. He said, Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. You see, I truly believe that that is the Easter message that we are called to declare that Almighty God, through the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross, is our dad. And that through Jesus, in Jesus, by Jesus, that we can have complete and unfettered access to the Father by the Holy Spirit. And I believe this is all just absolutely connected with the heart of God. Because you see, the Father's always had an eternal plan for humanity. You know, Jesus is is referred to the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world, which means that even before he created Adam and Eve, there was provision uh, for the eternal sacrifice of Jesus. And and so uh, this is what it says in verse 3 of Ephesians 1, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You see, this is what the Father is always longed for. He's always desired that not even one person would perish, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. And I really believe that the Father, when we begin to to, to know the fathering heart, that his heart breaks for every one of his children that are outside of his house, you know, whether it's the legalist, you know, that's working in the field that, you know, that's portrayed by the older brother in the prodigal son story, or whether it's the younger brother who just blows everything on wine, women, and song, and his own lust and desires, and runs out and is spiritually bankrupt. The father is waiting. The father is longing. The father wants every one of his kids home. Every He wants his house to be full, and he's not willing that one should perish. And I just believe this, you know, as I've been, you know, just thinking about the the one father 
you know, of, of, there's one God and Father of us all who is over all and in us all and living through us all, that there is this incredible desire for the Father's house to be filled. And then what a motivation for us to become ministers of reconciliation. In Galatians 4, 6 and 7, uh, it really describes this transformation process by the Holy Spirit because the, the, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Son. Jesus also called the Holy Spirit the Spirit of your Father because he was talking to his disciples and they were going to be called up before judges and he says that when you're called up, you know, that you won't have anything to worry about because it'll be the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. But it's the spirit of sonship, the spirit that cries, Abba, Father. And this is what Paul talks about in, in Galatians 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are God's, his child, God has also made you an heir. You see, creator is what God does, but father is who he is. And I truly believe whether we open our heart to receive his fathering or not, he is still Father, and He has a Father's heart for the whole world. And of course, John three sixteen, we know that for God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, the Father's always loved every person on planet Earth, uh, and and I just believe that this idea that our origin didn't come from God, but it came from somewhere else, is absolutely not true that we are we are connected in our DNA to the to the most high we are created in his image and i believe preaching the gospel is actually being able to to bring form to that and to declare to people that 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 almighty god in his infinite love chose them before the foundation of the world to be in his family and jesus came to bring us home and to declare that I still believe in faith. I believe it's by faith that makes it real. You know, like I could give you a million dollars in a bank account, but if you didn't believe it and, and you didn't use the, 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 the bank card to, to access it, then it doesn't serve you any purpose for you. But when what faith does, it put form to what is God has already provided for us. And so it's by receiving that free gift of the beloved Son, Jesus Christ, that we just get reconnected to our, our divine origins, that we get you know uh, absolutely plugged into the inheritance that the, the Father has for each and every one of us. You see, I truly believe there is one God and Father of us all. He is over us all. He is the one working through us all. He is the one living in us all. And my prayer is that that every person on planet Earth would would be able to to be able to experience His saving love through Jesus Christ. But I believe even if we don't, you know, even if people don't receive this, so they don't believe that does that doesn't change the Father heart of God. God is Father. That's who He is. That's the very essence of who He is. But you know how we respond to that is what's at stake. So as I as I just uh, finish up this, I'm, I'm I'm not sure if this made any sense or or not. I uh, I, I was saying to Anne when I created this 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 um, 
presentation or this, the, these thoughts with their, I go like I don't know I, I you know it's not like because I know this is can be a contentious subject about is God a father of the human race and what does that mean and but he, of course he fathered the human race that's who did it was it wasn't there was no other alternative it was God who created everybody he's the one who knit us together in our mother's womb and Psalm seventy one six King David says you brought me forth from my mother's womb on the day I was born. He was there on the day of every one of the birth of his kids. I truly believe that. And I truly believe that it's the heart of the Father that he wants everyone on planet Earth to know this message that God loves them, that Jesus died for them, and that through the, the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we can experience a homecoming. So, I don't know, does that make sense? Uh, in... in uh, was it clear? If not, please forgive me. I'm not a theologian. I'm just a little boy with a big dad. But uh, as I, I just want to wrap up, and um, and I, I want to close out with a 10-minute video that I created uh, that I put on the onefather.com website. And it's just really basically to try to build a theological framework to the the father heart of God, that, and not only his father heart, but his fatherhood for humanity, that our origin comes from God, that you know we are made in his image, whether we know it or not, we are his image bearers, and that you know we are his offspring. And Jesus came to complete that reconciliation where we can be reconciled to the Father. So uh, I'm going to, I just thank you for coming, and um, I'm just going to play this 10-minute video as I just wind up the, the webcast. And uh, yeah, it's just a whole, a whole pile of scriptures that really, in my mind, support this revelation that there is one God and Father of us all. And so bless you guys. I appreciate you being with me today. And you know, hopefully some of this made sense. So here we go.